Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Halloween, everybody, and welcome to episode number 310 of the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Sinister Steve Say, and this spectacular <laughs> evening, I am joined by the Cthulhu-loving Mr. Bob Ryer. Cthulhu Photography, everyone! <laughs> the savvy survivor of the night, Joey Ricchino. Hiya, Georgie! And our holy shit, our own <laughs> malevolent mistress of mayhem, Melissa Megan. I don't have a good one ready. <laughs> Do the Babadook. Do Thank the Babadook. you for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a good time over here on this uh, special and spooky edition of the show. We're going to throw a little Halloween at you. We are well aware that Halloween was yesterday, but we're still feeling the spirit. So go with it. Hmm? Go with it. Halloween should be more than one day a year, uh... I think. I'm ready for Christmas. Dude, yo, jingle if Christmas bells, can start bells, so all the way. No, no, not yet. You don't get to do that yet. You're part, don't, dude, don't be a part of the problem. What are you, the war against Christmas, Steve? No, Bob, I am not the war against Christmas. I am the war against seeing Christmas items on the shelves the same time as my Halloween items. Let me enjoy my holiday, damn it. All right. <laughs> We got lightning. Jesus Christ. <laughs> We've got lightning rounds for you this podcast. We've got some open discussion, some Halloween themed questions and lists, and uh, a little bit of talk about our weekends. Uh, this was obviously it's Halloween, so everybody goes out over Saturday, Sunday because you can't Halloween during the week. It's very difficult. People have work and lives and things. <laughs> So uh, super quick for me, I went to my friends, uh, Jamie and Jome, their place. They put on a killer, killer Halloween party every year. Been going for at least the last four years straight, I think. But anyway, they did this year a uh, escape room in their place. And they divided the entire party up into teams And you had to solve mysteries over the course of a couple of hours that by entering the party, everybody was cursed. And if you didn't figure out the mystery, you would be dead by midnight. And the uh, the idea was to solve the riddles that were stashed around the house and figure out six items that go onto an altar. And then you uh, rearrange them in order to cast the spell. But what was really, really cool was that for the first two hours... It was um, East versus South as far as the teams. And everybody was in it for themselves. Nobody was talking to the other team. And it was all secrecy and cloak and dagger and all over the place and whatever. But in order to cast the spell, you needed information and people from both sides 
So from both teams. So for the third round, everybody had to band together and like learn to trust one another with this like coveted information that we'd found stashed around uh, their place. And um, I died. So before somebody got to drink a resurrection potion, which were these ridiculous shots that were served like vampires, tears and Frankenstein vomit and all these other things that they had, uh, a dead person had to read the spell. So I got to play this like super pivotal role in the end and, and by dying and, and just being a dead person. It was awesome. Right. Uh, I trust you probably were great. Yeah. Go ahead, yes. please. Yeah. I heard two of you. Who was the other one? Was that Melissa? I was going to ask if you were a good dead person. I was a good dead person because you were able to, you couldn't touch anything. You were allowed to still look around and like figure out clues and share information, but you weren't allowed to investigate. Like if you thought it was one of the objects, one of the artifacts, and you want to look underneath it to be sure for like another clue or whatever, I'm not allowed to touch them. I have to communicate with somebody else on my team. Because blah, 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 you're blah. a ghost and you don't have corporeal hands, but you can speak to them from beyond the grave. Exactly. I see it. So I that was logic. good times. I went, as, uh, <laughs> I went as I went as Wednesday Adams this year was my costume and Bronwyn pulled off th- just an incredible, incredible She-Hulk Jennifer Walters uh, costume. You guys I, saw it. I agree right with that. Yeah. Right off the Kevin Wada cover for number one. Mm-hmm. I think Bronwyn should just be She-Hulk all the time now. A lot of people told her that at the party. At yeah. least <laughs> three or four people had told her, like, you should you should go green. Like just all the time. My favorite part of her costume was the lipstick. Like her, her lips. The she found the exact shade that from the Kevin Water run that that you needed for that. And uh, yeah, she she looked amazing. A lot of other people looked really cool too. Some guy came dressed in a suit that had Pac Man uh, maze stuff all over it, and a giant flaming uh, thing on his head, and he was Arcade Fire for the party. <laughs> I saw and, that picture. Oh, God. It was so good. It was so good. There were two people, a couple that were dressed as the wacky, uh, inflatable, flailing arb uh, men. And, like, we walked into the party, and they saw us walking up. And so when we walked in, they all of a sudden were just bending over and then just started going up and, like, throwing their arms up in the air and doing the whole thing as we walked in. And then every person that walked into the house, every new person, they stood there and just were like, whoa. It was it was really a blast and uh yeah so anyway melissa what did you Yo. do this past weekend uh well we actually do halloween on halloween in my neck of the woods steve <laughs> even though it's halloween a weekday tomorrow. what i'm doing it again yeah uh well so we had well we had max's birthday party on sunday so um it wasn't halloween quite yet but you know, um, his birthday is November 1st, so it's always kind of tricky because I have to figure out like when to do his party that's not on top of the Halloween stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a really cool Batman, Spider-Man party Ooh. for Max. Ooh. He was very specific that it had to be both of those things. <laughs> um, and that was fun. And then Halloween will be uh, in my town. They do Halloween the night of and we do trick-or-treating and watch a parade and there's a big like town parade where everybody in town gets involved in it and people march. Wow. Um, there's lots Are you of marching? like uh, I will eventually, but we kind of like stand on everybody go by and then when the tail end comes then you join in and and the parade just gets bigger as it goes through town. That's that community spirit, Melissa. Hmm. That's cool. The conga line. What's yeah. Max what's Max going as for Halloween? 
Uh, well, Maxie's going as Kylo Ren. Nice. Oh. I am currently sewing a costume as we speak because <laughs> I'm mom. <laughs> I have to stay up all night and sew this damn costume. Aww. Um. So we do, yeah, we do family costumes every year. So we usually let him kind of pick, and then we build around him. Um, and he's super specific about everything. So he's Kylo Ren, and he insisted that Dad had to be old Luke, which means that we're doing we're doing the Last Jedi, which has been fun to build costumes off of a movie that we haven't seen yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna be Ray, and Ryan's been growing a beard for two weeks now. Nice. So he can be. How's really his progress? Honest. It's it's good, but he hates it. <laughs> Complaining every day. So yeah, it'll Aww. be fun. So I gotta send my little dude to. They have a school parade too, so he's gotta wear his Kylo Ren costume to school. Um, but he's really mad because they won't let them have any weapons, so he can't. He's gotta Aww. rely on the Force. <laughs> oh, he can't break his lightsaber. I said, listen, you got the Force. You don't need your lightsaber now. <laughs> is he? Is he listen, gonna? You don't rock the face scar. Uh, probably not. He's uh. not big on like face makeup. But someday, you know, someday, he will. Yeah, I'm. Listen, I'm just happy I don't have to wear a cat suit this year. That's <laughs> official rule of my house now is we don't do any costumes that involve cat suits for mom. <laughs> boys and girls, no cat suits. Well, the boys can wear cat suits if they want, just not me. <laughs> what kind of cat suit are we talking about here? Well, we had we did the Avengers one year, and I had to be Black Widow, so uh, it is okay. not fun. That is the least comfortable thing I've ever worn in my life. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing it again. <laughs> Fantastic. Next yeah. time they do the Avengers, you could be Captain Marvel. Look at it that mm, way. Yeah. 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 That'd be cool. I uh, wonder, the day's going to come uh, when he picks something terrible, and I'm going to have to just, you know. Yeah, but the day's also going to come where he's not going to want to do Halloween with yeah, Dad anymore. Well, I don't think I don't that's true. I mean, we were, doing, we were doing costumes before he came along. Exactly. We just involve him into it now. <laughs> just wait for the year when he comes. He's like, no, I'm not saying it, it dies for you. I'm saying that <laughs> at some point he's going to want to go off with his friends. Oh yeah, he won't want us to do it with him. Yeah, right? it's not going to be cool to have you know mom and dad no. going door to door with you. Melissa, it's That's always cool. yeah, let him. It's always going to be dad cool. can go he's to a party be into it. drink again. <laughs> yeah. sounds like a plan. Anybody else do anything cool over the weekend for Halloween? Uh, I I hit two comic stores because it was Halloween Comic Fest. Oh, so went down to Androids, though mm -hmm. Jess Jess wasn't around. She was a little under the weather, but I picked up a bunch of stuff down there, including the new DC, DC Superhero Girls and oh, Runaways number one reprint, Ooh. the Brian K. Vaughan, Adrian Alfana, Ooh. and a really creepy looking manga called Shiver. With mm. this really creepy lady and a guy on it whose face has been eaten away by bugs. Nice. So we'll be talking a lot about that later. Very Halloween-y sort of thing. Then went up to Fourth World and picked up some extra stuff over there. A Thor, a Batman, and got to speak to Kristen Godsnuck, who was doing the signing for Hinch Girl. Oh, sweet. So that's that cool. was that was fun. As I snuck around the corner and she saw me, it was like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Like, <laughs> How's I she kinda, doing? I kind of oh, she's doing great. She will be back on with us next year. She's got some super secret projects in the works. Oh so, right, right. Uh, yeah. So we got we I can't can't say anything yet, but that that should be that. And also on that day, I Steve knows because I did write something for him and for people who are longer term listeners, I. 
I officiated at Bobby's wedding. Well, on Saturday, I officiated at a vow renewal ceremony for my friend Angela and her husband, Dave. Oh, nice. So over at the local, we have a huge, lovely green space here on the island. It's the Bayard Cutting Arboretum. Lots mm. of trees and all sorts of stuff. So they're in the middle of a lovely circle of trees with family and friends. And Angela and Dave met at, at our local convention, Icon, 10 years ago. And this was their 10th anniversary. Aww. So they also did a Celtic hand fasting thing with, mm-hmm. their, with their daughter, Diana, involved, which was, which was just lovely. And it was a very nerdtastic ceremony. And everyone awesome. seemed to enjoy it. So... I'll just throw it out there. I could use some extra money. Does anyone in the Long Island area need to? <laughs> Bob, I was literally just thinking that as you were speaking. Like, I think you missed your calling. This is your career. There you go. You need to be a paid, like, speech, I don't know, speech giver. Officiant. Yeah, well. Nerd officiator. Yeah. Right. We'll, we'll take a meeting. We'll sit and have some drinks. What are you into? And you'll get some. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anybody who writes a better, sappy... Touching speech than Bob. <laughs> you should read the one that Bob sent me and Bronwyn that uh, Lauren brought with her and dropped off to us. It was so good. Nice. Thank you. Well, that is very, very nice, Bob. That's awesome. Uh, anything else before we move on to Joey? I, uh, oh, Bob, Bob anything oh. else? <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big Halloweener um, in terms of like dressing Wiener! up. Wiener! He said Wiener! I, I said I said that. <laughs> But it's going to happen again later. This past Saturday, I attended the tale of Sweeney Todd in Ooh, uh, New oh. York City, the one where it's in a pie shop. You go, oh, it's, down, no. it's downtown, off Bleecker. It's a pie shop. You go in. We went in, first half hour before the show, you're served pies and mash. Oh, my God. And, you know, beer and stuff. And we're eating the pies. It was a special Halloween night, so the pies had, like, finger like fingers in the pie with like red fingernails they weren't actual fingers they were like baked anyway um, we're eating i'm eating the pie and then this one of the actors comes and sits next to me with his throat slit and he's dressed in like a priest outfit and he goes what are you having and i think i'm so clever and i'm like a little priest and he goes (laughs) and he goes was I good? And I'm like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do the next line. I was, I had nothing. I had nothing. It was so awesome. And you're in it. You're sitting at the tables and then the show starts and the actors are walking up on the tables and doing the show. And it's amazing. And at one point, Sweeney was walking around during epiphany when he's like, you sir, how about a shave? Um, he's standing (laughs) on the wall next to my table. And I'm like, this Father Mucker is about to jump onto this table and hold his razor to my throat. And he freaking did. And I thought I was going to throw up everywhere. He's like, you, sir, how about a shave? And I'm like, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Oh, it's so good. Sweeney Todd is such a good, good show. And such an amazing story. Amazing music. It's terrifying, obviously, but also so funny in like the most morbid way. Um... So that was that was my Saturday night. It was it was fantastic, and uh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, so that's how I spent my holla 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 weekend. Uh, my little uh, holla Sweeney, holla Sween, if you yeah. will. Um, Joey, will you go to that show with me sometime? Oh, uh, I the only reason why I went. So first of all, the tickets are so 
freaking expensive. And oh. I could not book it. I, I was not able to book it in time. But my friend had an extra ticket and, mm. and messaged me like literally two days before and was like, hey, Sweeney Todd, Saturday, are you down? And I was like, hell to the yes, I'm down. So <laughs> I, I went and um, – but there's lottery. And they just got extended until February. They got extended again. So – um yeah if we win the lottery melissa we'll go i will I've, I've never been to a broadway show and that's one that i would go to oh and yeah and it's like downtown like off so it's like you know it's like you're not like in midtown surrounded by people you're like downtown where it's hip and cool and you're, <laughs> and you're eating pies and sweeney todd is happening so cool. i love sweeney todd so good so good fantastic man that sounds amazing all right what do you say we get into some lightning round business? Let's do it. All right. I think Mr. Bob is going to go first this time. Okay. Oh, I got to get out the little thing. Hold on. Yeah, I, I need a cue. That you do. In case I want to shoot pool or something. Oh. Oh. That's my fault for not having the timer ready. All right, let's do this. Timer, five minutes, and lightning round starts now. Well, to quell any curiosity, I did read Wonder Woman this week. So let me get right to it and discuss the amazing issue that was, wait for it, Wonder Woman Conan number two. Uh. Gail Simone and Aaron Lepresti. Uh, Miss Simone and Mr. Lepresti simultaneously deepen the connection and the mysteries behind the meeting of these two iconic characters all the way back in Conan's Hyborian age. And it's just a rollicking, rollicking good time. Tons of laugh-out-loud moments, great action, and there are those moments where it's... You, you, Wonder Woman and Conan are so themselves from, from the classic era. It's just absolutely marvelous. Would that these two were on the regular book. Since it is, I, my time can't be up already. It's totally not. I'm just popular. Keep going. Okay. It, it's Halloween. So let's dive into Captain Chronos Vampire Hunter number two from Titan Comics, written by Dan Abnett, with art by Tom Mandrake in his best sort of Neil Adams mode. As we saw last issue, the village of Sarah Church is in the midst of a well, 10 year plague of vampiric infestation, administered by an army of the undead commanded by a Nosferatu named Slake. Now, his power is seemingly so immense that his minions are immune to the traditional modes of dispensing such creatures. So can Kronos, Carla, and Professor Grost apply some new methods to the, to the hunt? The adaptation and continuation of the classic Hammer film has some lovely additions, including some great new agency for Carla's character that probably would have happened if the original movie had gone to series because Brian Clemens who had done the Avengers did the same with Diana Riggs character and then Linda Thorson's after. So uh, I know people are not going to be picking this up as solo issues. They're hard to find. It's going to make a great trade and Titan always does a really fabulous job with those moving forward. America number six by Gabby Rivera and the son of one of Melissa's clients, Joe Canonis is the start of a new arc <laughs> And with the legacy primer pages at the back, this could be a really nice jumping on point for any of you who've been intrigued by what we've talked about on the show so far. It's a really fun series. Here, America Chavez is back at Sotomayor University, back from her vacation, 
that helped her settle some questions about her family, particularly her mom's. Now she she has she has moms. She has two moms. I no no no. It's, I know. It's, I'm thinking of something completely different. Okay. It's just triggered by something you said. Keep going. She gets an invitation from Professor Douglas, uh, who's head of the. Uh, Radical Women and Intergalactic Indigenous Revolutionary Studies program. Yes. And that's, and, that, and, that's, and she wants to discuss sort of things from the outside. But uh, a little bit of a snag ensues in the form of new dean of students, uh, Ms. Billy Brightly, who just may have more on her mind than campus security. As always, tons of fun and served up with just a lot, a lot of sass. Finally, there's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 24 by Brandon Montclair, Natasha Bustos, and guest artists Ray Anthony Hyde, Domo Stanton, and Michael Scheffler. Multi-part story centered on the fact that in our last issue, Lunella, with the last bit of energy in her Omniway projector, has returned Devil Dinosaur to his own home in the Valley of the Flame and is now looking for a new partner. She shares a reality TV moment with Mojo's ex-babies takes a ride with Ghost Rider, consults with Matt Murdock. But, but it's the last page that put a huge smile on my face as Lunella teams up with two heroes. And as she puts it, well, we're all missing something. And oh next God. issue is called The Fantastic Three. Uh, I'm done. Uh, okay. Okay, that Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur issue sounds incredible. Yes, it is. What is going on? I have so many things that I need to catch up with. This is ridiculous. There's not enough time. Not enough time. Never enough time. How was my time, speaking of? You had 48 seconds left, Bob. Here we go. Okay. That, I, I, I'm trying to gauge this. I was a page and another chunk. So I can go another chunk beyond that. <laughs> I'll have to think. I'll have to think some more chunks up. <laughs> All right. Oh, right you're measuring my comic you, book list by chunks. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Can we stop saying the word chunk? <laughs> <laughs> have you, you ever like played chunks? cards cards against humanity, Joey? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know that one of the winning cards is, of course, chunks of dead prostitutes. Mm -mm. It's an absolute winning card every mm -mm. time. Mm -mm. <laughs> Joey's right. holding his breath. Stop it. He's just going to yak all over the microphone. <laughs> all right. I have a very uh, Cullen Bunn-tastic uh, lightning round this week. So oh, I love me some Cullen Bunn. Prepare. I don't know if you've read one of these, so we're about to find out. All right. I got five minutes on the clock and go. So I've been doing a reread of Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook and Company's Harrow County. Uh, I will spoil episode, uh, episodes, ugh. issues numbers one through four, which is the first arc, in order to talk about what I want to talk about. So, fair warning. Okay, first, this is the perfect read for the holiday season. The series is so incredibly well-crafted. In going back, I was really able to soak in the atmosphere of the book and just this overwhelming dread that follows the story. I'm not usually bothered by books, but this is one that really gets to me. It leaves me with chills when I read certain passages. And also, there's some really crazy, like, philosophical, cerebral conversations going on in this book. Uh, like I said, this is a spoiler for the first arc, which is only the first four issues. But Emmy, the main character, 
is actually the witch Hester Beck reincarnated. And as you read, you come to find out that in a battle against loneliness and sanity, Hester created the townsfolk of Harrow County. She's essentially oh. their god. So what does that make Hester? Because she gave she gave the people free will. Does that make them human? And if if, if oh god, if, yeah, I, exactly. It's what well, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's got ghosts, beasts, mysteries to solve, all presented with a, a killer array of artists led by Tyler Crook. It's just such a spectacular series. I I love going through it again. There's stuff that I forgot about. The fact I, I don't know. I'm not gonna spoil that. Um, I hope to have it done by by next podcast, but it's been amazing uh, catching up with it and everything like that. Really, really love that world. The other book that I read by Colin Bunn, Danny Lurkett, and uh, Marie Enger is uh, she's on Colors and Letters, and uh, it's called Regression. Melissa, no, I haven't read it. Tell okay, so, it. so Regression is is very 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 disturbing book. I like it already. Adrian is <laughs> basically he's experiencing hallucinations of a very horrific variety. The book opens with Adrian standing around at like a like a friend's barbecue when all of a sudden maggots start pouring out of people's beer bottles. Ooh, I read this. Guests' eyes are crawling with centipedes, oh. and the food is nothing but a mass of like flies and wasps. Mm. It's it's awful so after molly adrian's friend finds him freaking out in the bathroom she, she suggests that adrian see a friend of hers who happens to be a comedian and hypnotist so in a private session the hypnotist places adrian into regression therapy uh as that happens adrian uncovers an ancestor of his who was a serial murderer who committed ritualistic and unspeakable acts so after finding one another, part of that murder hitches a ride onto Adrian's consciousness, creating this sort of Jekyll and Hyde routine in Adrian uh, from then on. And you follow him as he's kind of coming to terms with with what his circumstances are. It's really, really ridiculous. And I kind of love it. And the artwork reminds me a little bit of John Davis Hunt of uh, Clean Room fame. Ooh. And uh, I don't know what else to tell you about it without ruining stuff. It's really disgusting. It's really creepy. But uh, and I kind of don't know what's going on with the old like the the ancestor character, but I'm totally willing to keep reading and find out. And that's the important part. Uh, the last bit that I want to talk about really quick after I see how much time I have going on. I have a minute and 20 seconds. Oh, my God. All right, you guys, I promise no spoilers whatsoever. Dude, I will kill you. I watched Stranger Things season two. Bronwyn and I binged the hell out of it yesterday, finished it all nine episodes. I positively loved it. I freak out hard when it comes to the show. The nostalgia is mighty. I love that the show pays homage to so many films and fads of the 80s, but still manages to share something new with the material. The story is much bigger this time around. New characters add ton to the show and I'm going to skip over that part because it's kind of spoilery. Anyway, I don't want to talk too much about anything because I know a lot of people haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I want to watch it again. I'm super anxious to see where the show goes from here. I just I think they did a lot of brilliant moves. People that I didn't expect to care about, I really did. And um, it was just I hate I hate using the word better than season one, but it was I was fully fully engaged the entire time and, and i really enjoyed kind of this I, I love seeing these kids grow up and this is really really terrible 
uh, town that they live in. It's a mm. it's a monstrous place. Anyway, um, definitely go and check out Stranger Things season two because it is amazing. Nice. Oh yeah. Look at oh, you. Yeah. I remember reading that first issue of Regression, and I stopped. So kudos to you for for going for the rest. But when those bugs started coming out of everything, I was like, nope, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, uh, so but I, cool. I I don't. I don't like I get it, but I don't get it. The the yeah. stuff with the with the ancestor and exactly what the deal is with that, I'm a little fuzzy because it looks like there's magic, which makes me think that it's kind of a fantasy world, but then if that's the case, yeah. How is it based in reality? And I don't know. Everything with Cullen Bunn is hmm. kind of like fuzzy. <laughs> like like in, in terms of like the horror stuff, it's always kind of fuzzy and kind of atmospheric is how he really gets you. Like you think back to like Empty yeah. Man and uh, the Unsound right now over over at Boom. It's the same thing. Is he doing like, that one too? Yeah. I'm like, I don't really uh. know what's happening in this book, but it scares the crap out of me. You know? He's a like, busy dude. Yeah. But he's I, he's occupying that space, which is like really nice. Like alongside people like Steve Niles and, and people like yeah. that, which is great. I forgot that he was doing the unsound. I need to read that. It's up to five, I think. I'm gonna have to there's a there's an image Halloween sale going on right now. I'll take advantage, Ooh. I'll grab it. It's over on um, it's on boom. Oh, is it boom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Either or, but uh, yeah, regression is it's gross, it's intriguing, and it is just a good time. I, I've been like I've been coming across these horror books. Baby Teeth was is so good. Like I'm so I'm so invested in that. Oh, and by the way, I watched the Babysitter on Netflix. Watch that too. It's so good. Okay, let's move on to another lightning round because I'm talking for too long. Who wants to go, Joey or Melissa? Okay. Joey! Oh no! No, that's what happens. Oh. I'm just kidding. I I'll love go. you, I'll Joey. Go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. You don't have to go. No, it's okay. I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I can go. I'm ready. No, it's fine. It's fine. Lo- I'm an adult. Okay. I love Joey's lightning rounds. Okay. <gasps> ready? Boy. And. Go! Black Crown Quarterly from IDW. So, Black Crown is an imprint of sorts coming out of IDW, um, now under the capable direction of the illustrious Shelley Bond, uh, who labels herself as one of the last originals to start at Vertigo and one of the last originals to leave Vertigo. Um, the Black Crown, fictionally, is a pub in the seedy underbelly of London, I think think kind of ambiguous that serves as the hub for all of these strange punk mod characters that occupy the books that will make up the imprint black crown uh we're going to talk about one of those uh comics later in the episode kid lobotomy but also books like assassinistas cannonball comics punk's not dead and cud the rich and strange um and black crown quarterly is basically going to be this um a uh, book that features recaps, previews, uh, interviews with the creators, comics with an X, original content, like how to do an Ollie and other non sequiturs. Um, really enjoyed reading it. It was fun. And it genuinely got me excited for all of the related content, including, um, as I said, Kid Lobotomy, which I actually read because uh, there was a preview in Black Crown Quarterly. And then I saw Melissa had read it too. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll read that so we can talk about it. Um, so that was very cool. Black Panther number 166, Tanahasi Coates with Leonard Kirk this time, color still by uh, the amazing Laura Martin. 
this is the first issue of Claw Reigns Supreme. Oh. Uh, and the first issue with the renumbering, which, at least for me, has become a very effective means of getting me to buy these books. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, this issue is narrated by Claw and, and follows his story as he walks us through his new plan and his new powers and his reasons for being such a jerk all the time. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've fallen very, very far behind on Black Panther, unfortunately. And this issue really didn't do much for me, probably because I didn't get enough T'Challa, if I'm being honest. Um, Claw is cool, um, but you forget how weird Claw is in the comics versus, like, Andy Circus Claw from the movies. Um, Claw in the comics is, like, that whole red sonic body, and he doesn't really yeah. have a face, and, the, and he's got the... The, the, the kazoo, the on, kazoo his on his arm, you know? And he's vicious. I'm sorry, like he, what? He's yeah. got, like, the, 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 the satellite on his arm. The sonic the, horn. The sonic horn, yeah. yeah. Um, he's vicious okay. here. The sonic horn, like, eviscerates uh, a person in the sh- in the book, which is pretty awesome. But um, I don't I didn't want to read this book for Coates' version of Claw's voice. I wanted to read that amazing Wakandan world from the first 12 or 14 issues that I, that I was up to date on. And also, I've always had this problem with Leonard Kirk's artwork. I love it for the most part, but his backgrounds and his wide shots um, often lack detail, like faces, <laughs> which is been jarring for me since x factor uh in a lot of ways like any wide shots that he does he just won't put faces on people and it kind of bothers me but anyway um another renumbered captain marvel 125 margaret stoll michelle bandini with colors by eric arseniega also another series that i have not been reading regularly but for the most part i was able to follow along with what was going on here apparently alpha flight space station got destroyed sometime and the gang is grounded at columbia university they think they're going to get some r&r until carol gets an energy form message from bean who looks a lot like miss america here so i was confused for a hot second but then everything kind of settled um then we get the gang back together to investigate tight narrative i actually enjoyed the energy and balance in Stoles's voice i haven't been reading the book so it was a nice kind of refreshing uh change of pace there and bandini's visuals were fantastic i will say i don't know how i feel about fun and bubbly abigail brand <laughs> i kind of miss my like stern kind of uh bureaucrat abigail brand with the sass but whatever um, but I'm actually interested in revisiting the previous issues of this run and learning about the supporting cast that I'm 100% unfamiliar with, including a villain that I guess is returning, which is interesting. Um, yeah. how am I doing on time? 55 seconds. X-Files, JFK Disclosure, uh, Denton J. Titton and Menton 3, Mentone, I don't know. Letters Menton. by Celia Temafonte. Um, first of all, I love, love, love how this book looks like... Uh, his artwork is astounding in all of its smoky glory. It's very kind Did of Did you just filled. figure that out? I never, I never, yeah. yeah. Bill Sinkovich, Mike Del Mundo, David Mack, and it's kind of like dark, fluid paint aesthetic. Very cool. Um, and it's perfect for the kind of like backroom, conspiracy theory shadiness at the core of the storyline, which is basically that Mulder's father was part of a secret organization responsible for several high-profile hits during the Cold War. So the question is raised, was he involved in JFK? And that's pretty much uh, where we are here with some aliens right at the tail end. Um, yeah, it was cool. I'm always, I'll always check out the, the X-Files books that IDW puts out, puts out because I obviously am a big X-Files fan. So uh, I'll always read the comics. And that's me. Very well done. Okay. I'm going to jump in here. Full, dis- full disclosure, being punny, I never really watch much X-Files stuff. That you makes know, two of us, Bob. Probably, yeah. Popped in here and there early on. There, I think it was third or fourth episode they did, and it's apparently a very famous one. 
that struck me as being John Carpenter's The Thing retold. Uh, Arctic-based, uh, shape-shifting. And then so I backed away and watched here and there. And enjoy, always enjoyed it, but just never caught the, the fever of it. But this was on Joey's list, and JFK stuff, I've been a bug for years on this. I I was old enough to be sent home from school in 1963. They didn't tell us why we were being sent home on November 22nd, 1963, but came home to discover what had happened. Actually saw live on television, sitting at our TV tables, and watched Jack Ruby shoot Lee Harvey Oswald live on television. Wow. And having my father say, there's something screwy about that. How did that guy get in the police station unless someone wanted to let him be there? So I think the conspiracy theory bug on that's been in my head ever since. So this book hits so many of the little key points where that's just mentioning Miami. There was a guy down there named Joseph Miltier who was a right-wing fellow who the FBI was looking at in September of 63 and have him on tape saying that Kennedy's going to be shot in Dallas from a, a high office building. They have him on tape saying these things. We get to the mob guys. We talk about all this, and then it takes this left turn into X-Files territory, as Joey mentioned, with, with aliens, and I'm going to have to read the second issue. Did I'm going to jump in did, on something else a little different. Did anyone see, it was in 1996 and 7, a TV show called Dark Skies on NBC? I remember the title, but I don't think I ever saw the show. It was, it begins, it, it's in the Kennedy era, and it's this idealistic young couple the, the the husband's going to go work for the kennedy administration his wife's coming to washington to go to work in the state department i think it is and they get involved with majestic 12 the super secret government organization that is part of oddball conspiracy theories that roswell happened aliens are around and it's two different sets of aliens. it's the gray guys with the big heads but they've been taken over by the ganglions who run into their brains and, and are actually using them as slaves. And in that show, they kill Kennedy. Uh, it, it was unavailable for years because so, they, they rehash all these events in the 60s. And so there's tons of period music. It took them years for Shout Factory to come out with it. And they finally did a couple of years ago. If you want to see an underappreciated show on this sort of fertile ground for, for fun conspiracy, try Dark Skies as well. But I'm definitely in for X-Files JFK disclosure. So thank you, Joy, for putting this on the list. Really enjoyed the heck out of it. Totally. I'm, I'm very happy to hear you enjoyed Margaret Stoll's take on Captain Marvel. It's fun. It's 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 fun. Yeah. Uh, like I said, though, Abigail Brand will always be like that ice queen for me so well, so here so seeing her here be like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna get my chakras in order and i'm gonna get my nails yeah. done i was like excuse me girl what well, because <laughs> because but no because what happened over the, the the issues you missed she was all of the abigail brands you remember yeah all business all the time right and the Alpha Flight Space Station still got the snot kicked out of it. it's gonna need a heck of a lot of plaster to fix it up there and some spackle so she's eventually, because of the kids around and Puck and the Alpha Flight folks, have begun to loosen up a little bit, as has Carol tried to readjust from you know, you know, the secret, uh, secret Empire Civil War stuff that's all been going on. So it's a nice little change. Those kids you see, they're the Carol cadets. I saw that. 
and they're they're a lot of fun. So it'll be fun to see them back. And you're right about those enemies coming back. The shapeshifter guy is from the issue where to try to fund the Alpha Flight space station, they allowed the crew of the television show Captain Marvel to come film on the on the on the space station. It turns out one of them's that shapeshifter guy. Mm. So that goes back a ways, and I'm not entirely sure, but I think Doctor Eve goes all the way back to issue zero and was actually Carol's psychiatrist. I'm not sure, Ooh, but I think so. I think we're tying some deep history in there, yeah. All right. Can I... I just want to touch on Black Panther for a second. Yes. Because Joey talked about this. I haven't read the book, but um, we went shopping, obviously, recently for birthday gifts for Max, and it really struck me that this kid had seen a trailer for a movie one time and seriously like he wanted everything black panther and in fact the complaint he's complaining afterwards that he didn't get a full black panther costume he only got the claws he, he got the claws and the mask but he didn't get, he's like i need the whole body i didn't get the whole body like <laughs> and i think you know that just really struck me because like he's you know He's a blue-eyed, blonde-haired four-year-old who saw one trailer, and he immediately thinks that Black Panther is amazing. I can't even imagine how this movie must feel for children of color. Honestly, oh my this like, movie I, is going to be so lit. It's going to be the greatest movie of all time. I can't even imagine. Like you know, I just I it was blown away. I was like, I don't even know. I asked him one day. I said, Do you know if Black Panther's a good guy or a bad guy? He said, Oh, he's a good guy. I was like, okay. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, the way that he looks, like, I didn't know if he really understood because, you know, he's jumping around with big claws and kind of beating people up and um, he could easily be a villain. He looks like a villain. <laughs> he'll become a, tell me he'll become a very good friend to Captain America, as you saw at the end. If, if, he hasn't seen Civil War yet, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, he has. Okay. Well, at the end, that's something in the books that goes on for years that when Cap leaves the Avengers, he nominates the Black Panther to take his place. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's one of the ones that he doesn't he doesn't tend to sit all the way through it. There's too much oh, kind so of like, misses that ending. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's too much kind of like conversational stuff going on in that one. So he doesn't. You know, he's a little too young to be interested in all the all the talk, all the chit chat. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. But I. I. Yeah. I just. I talked about that on Twitter for a um a few days ago, and a couple of our listeners actually um talked back to me about it so i just want to bring that up i thought that was really cool and um damn it it matters you know yeah 100 percent. these characters like i I, it's kind of struck me that you know that my little boy is that interested in black panther it's like he's a man of taste awesome yeah (laughs) he is he's the man of taste and people need to design these toys better because i mean the Seriously, the claws, the claws that we got, we get so like a mask and claws that come together, these rubber claws, and they're so big that both myself and my husband put them on and they were like falling off of our hands. Wow. And yet the mask is tiny. It's like, what child do they think is walking around with this tiny head? <laughs> and, and giant and hands. Giant... <laughs> it's like, it's like they expected a bear to wear these things. <laughs> they're like big, fat, like wide. They're just the worst designed things ever. We're going to have to put like extra gloves inside of them to to make them usable they measured it out on an actual panther <laughs> like they, yeah <laughs> i think they did <laughs> <laughs> oh 
<laughs> Amazing. Amazing. All right, Melissa, why don't you uh, keep talking to us? Tell it, Why don't you do your lightning round? I'm going to have to talk slower because I don't have as many as you guys. Um, you don't have to take up the entire five minutes. You can okay. do whatever you like. To be fair, I had more and some of mine were taken out. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Make the okay. rules around here. Ready? Yes. All right. Go. So first I'm going to talk about Ghostbusters. Answer the call number one. Uh, this is written by Kelly Thompson and art by Corin Howell. Uh, this IDW series is a continuation of the ghost-busting adventures of the recent film's all-female team. Uh, really well-done art that I think handles the weirdness of ghosty auras and ectoplasm really well. Um, and the writing is very loyal to the movie personality of kind of ridiculous banter between friends that's ongoing. It's fun. It's cute. It's silly. I don't think it goes too far beyond being more of what we got in the Ghostbusters film just yet. Um, but I found it just really fun and light and enjoyable. So that's kind of nice right now. <laughs> um, and I do think that the artwork is, is really, really cute and adorable and like really great facial expressions. I don't, that's the best I can say is like the, you kind of like get that same impression of, you know, I want to be friends with these girls cause they're cool and fun and crazy. Um, so yeah, I think that one's worth reading, and I'll probably read a couple more just because I felt like the movie didn't flesh some of these personalities out so well, so I, I'm hoping that maybe the comic book will fill that in for me. Um, the second one I'm going to talk about is Saga number 48. Mm. I know. I know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for once, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples give us some good feels. Hallelujah. Wow. Good feels. <laughs> for what? For once. Thank you for not breaking my heart. <laughs> uh, there's nothing I read this week that made me happier than seeing smiles on the faces of Alana, Marco, and Hazel. Aww. Like, my heart just grew bigger. Um, and it's a Gus issue. Yay! Come on, everybody misses Gus, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't need Go. to say a lot besides this, other than the series still kicks ass emotionally, visually, and figuratively. I may give up comics forever for good if they ever take the series away from me. That's all I'm saying. Ooh. That's Ooh. it. I'm giving up. It can never go away. Okay. Last one I'm going to talk about is something called Road Rage. Uh, this is a collaborative project that includes two stories. One is co-written by father and son Stephen King and Joe Hill. It's based on the Richard Matheson classic Duel. And another oh, is Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another is the original tale adapted by Chris Rael. Um, so you get the, it, it, I think that's a really cool kind of pairing. You get to see their Stephen King and Joe Hill's version of it. And then you get to see the original story adapted by Chris Rael. So um, the art is done by, ready for this list, Nelson Daniel, Rafa Garris, and Phil Noto. Which was really cool. Damn. Really cool to see some Phil Noto artwork in here with like cars and grease and stuff. Um King and Hill wrote a short together based on a terrifying old tale from another horror master. That should be all you need to know. Like it's <laughs> that's, yeah. that's 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 it right there. Uh, road dust, growling motors, spinning wheels, psychotic drivers. It's all here in splendid detail. Read this shit right now. Read that's this it. shit. Read this shit right now because it is so fun. <laughs> and it's really fun to read even the kind of little prologue from um, King uh, and talking about, you know, being asked to, to come on the project. And I think there's a, another piece at the end from Joe Hill, too. Um, but 
I mean, it's cool to see these two working together. And it's a classic, uh, classic tale. And that I think is, uh, has influenced many a story and movies through the years. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's motors and bad guys and stuff like that. So yeah, that's it. That's awesome. I think I read at least an issue or two of that and it was really fun. And then I kind of forgot about it, but I should go and pick that up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I loved this. I'm a huge Richard Matheson fan. Uh, have a nice little book in the back with his autograph. Met him at Icon many years ago. And Duel, for those who know Richard Matheson, Incredible Shrinking Man, I Am Legend, you name it. He's uh, What Dreams May Come as Matheson. Wrote for Serling's Twilight Zone. Wrote for Roger Corman. It's funny, in this bo- book, we have people wearing Corman High School t-shirts, and they have bumper stickers and so on. And that all, that all ties into it. And the original short story of Duel is just, in, in the original, in the, the first uh, back matter piece, it's a front matter piece, in this case, where Stephen King's talking about picking up the book in 1958-59. And he and his son are in the car on a road trip, and they're driving along, uh, talking about new scenarios. For those who don't know, have never seen Steven Spielberg's TV movie, Dennis Weaver's just driving in the desert, minding his own business, and he encounters this giant tanker truck that's up his rear end and they're <laughs> passing back and forth and the horns honking and games being played on the highway and it is it certainly informs jaws at a certain level and in one way more particularly the there's a sound effect at the end of duel the tv movie where the truck encounters some problems and the sound of the crunching metal and gears shows up as the shark is coming to pieces in the water. Listen very closely the next time you watch Jaws. And it's the same sound effect that was done on purpose because Spielberg thought so much of Matheson's story and what they had done for this. The the new story here with the biker gang, Melissa, I that was great. That was a great yeah. way to, to play into the story's tropes and move into something different. And then reading the adaptation after was... was I don't want to say a palate cleanser because the first one was so great, but it was that, oh, take a deep breath and see where this all came from. And that really replicated the original book and the movie very well. Uh, It was was a nice reminder of where where they were coming from. I also think I love your uh, your kind of using Jaws in there, too, because I think it's important to note if you haven't read this story, it's not two equally matched people going at it on the road. Um, It is very predatory. That's the word that it makes me think of. This truck yeah. is, is a predator. And um, it's something that I think you wouldn't be able to explain to someone why it's terrifying until you read it or you see it happen and you realize how scary it would be to be in this kind of secluded desert and being stalked, basically, and, and preyed upon by some mysterious figure in a giant semi-truck. Yeah, I, I think Stephen King refers to it, I hope I don't mangle his quote, as ball-freezing terror. <laughs> and and th- there's a moment, without giving anything away, where the in, in the original story and in the second story in this collection, where the driver, David Mann, he's man against machine, I suppose, and in the old, there are only 12 themes in literature, is driving to try to get away from this truck and his little car can actually go faster than the truck as long as it gets ahead of him. 
and his car starts to overheat in the desert. And as the needle starts to go up, you, you have that feeling of, what, what do we do? Can, can he make it? Can he get to the top of the hill? And even if you know how it's going to turn out, you're still terrified. And that's great on, on Joe Hill and Chris Rayle and all the artists involved here and Matheson and Spielberg. It's just, it's a great package and highly recommended by me too. I don't know if you noticed, Bob, the direct reference in the, um, in, uh, in the story by Stephen King and Joe Throttle. Hill. That, Throttle. Uh, yeah. yeah, Throttle. Thank you. I couldn't go for the name. Yeah. Um, they specifically referenced the fact that the truck the only way to get away from the truck is to try to lose it on a on a hill a where the hill, truck yep. doesn't have the same, uh, where the hill doesn't have the same um, ability to, um, to to speed up. And I thought that was really cool because it's you know it's specifically like it's a detail that's that's talked about over and over again in Duel as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is the way to escape, and they kind of found a way to work that right into their story too. Absolutely. Right on. Yeah. Well, that sounds like fun. Pick it up. It is fun. Jeez. You should read that shit. I know. I want to read everything. <laughs> I don't have enough time. It's craziness. All right. Everybody's lightning rounds are done. We are going to take a short break and then come back with some open discussion and then move oh. into some questions. Ooh. We'll check in just a minute. are back i had some stuffy stuff i had to do now it is done now we can continue the podcast we're gonna open up the table for uh some discussions about a few books that we read this week that are shared hack slash resurrection number one i'm gonna let melissa lead the charge on this one go ahead all right i'll lead it i don't know if i have a ton to say but i think other people do so um, Hex slash Resurrection number one. Let's see. Written by Teeny Howard. Art by Cellor. I'm not really sure how to say that. And K. Michael Russell. Um, all right. So look, I'm thrilled to have Cassie Hack back in my life. I need her right now. I was jumping up and down when I found out about this book. Uh, is this the Cassie that I've missed? Mm, I'm not sure yet. Um, I think the adventure seems right. The look is a bit watered down and very sex kitteny and she's a bit less cynical and biting in this resurrected form uh these are not all positives in my book but it's only issue number one so i'll give it time i think um i think if they get cassie right then the rest of the story is easy because she basically just needs to hack things up and it's good <laughs> mm. um but if they get her wrong then there's no story to tell and that's it <laughs> Because Hack Slash is Cassie Hack. So this is really, really important. I'm going to keep reading this and kind of keep my hopes up that she busts a hole through this book. Um, because I really love Hack Slash. And if I hadn't said it enough times already, I'm really happy to have it back. But yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. So I am, I, I'm I had a good time reading it, but I'm going to reserve a little bit of judgment and give it kind of the benefit of a number one. And she's been gone for a long time. 
I'm not familiar with either of these creators or any of these three creators. I don't know if you guys are. No. No. No, I'm not either. And I have to say, I'm not familiar with the book at all either, except that people have talked about it in, in glowing terms. It was Tim Seeley created yes. Hackslash, who we, we do love. And not knowing the things you said, now I'm, I'm put off a little, only in that I enjoyed the heck out of a lot of this. I enjoyed her character. I thought it was an interesting mystery and a nice setup. But as you said, I found the art to be something that kept pulling me out of it. It was mm -hmm. very male gazy shots. Oh, let's make sure we have a shot of her with her underwear. And she mentions talking about, I'm just sitting around playing video games, killing zombies in my underwear. Really? Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, uh, and, and that's a shame because I enjoyed in the opening pages. They talk about what her arc was before that it was her mom who gets mentioned during the, the thing here was a serial killer who tried to actually kill Cassie and she had to take her out. That's a great little bit. We have flashbacks to her ex-partner, Vlad, her, her mission. We've got a new mystery. We've got a, a summer camp with kids with weaponry. Come on. There's fun stuff to be had, but hearing what you say about this character, if she had more edge to her, this yeah. would absolutely sing. See, this would really be over the top. I think we absolutely have to mention here that Hack Slash and people will people will tell us this on Twitter if we don't mention this. Cassie Hack has always been sexy. Like mm -hmm. her her art. Okay. The, there are covers of her with her legs spread open, baseball bats in between her legs. I mean, she's in lingerie okay. sometimes. So yeah, it's never been reserved on the sex for Cassie Hack, but she's always been. She's she's never been like sex kitten like pursed lips right. you know butt right. sticking out not that kind of sexy right. like I just don't give a shit kind of sexy is what she is and that's the kind that I want back right. more that's a that's a difference mm -hmm. it is sometimes yeah. subtle but there's a difference between sexy and sexualized mm -hmm. and that I think is what is here so hearing what you're saying I will go back and take a look at some of the older things but I guarantee you that there's that line that they've drifted across perhaps the second issue will change that when she's with the kids but i would i would definitely try a second issue myself and i was i knew nothing except the title and as i say that people seem to have loved it steve did you get to read hack slash i did i did and um you guys covered a, a, a lot of what i would have said i would just i've only read i want to say three volumes of the original series but even in the time that i had with that my issue with, with this book was kind of just, I feel like the series as a whole and the character, it's they're smarter and they're sharper than this. And it, it felt a little off-brand to me mm -hmm. in a way. But you know what? It's a resurrection of a character going a different, you know, slightly different direction or, or whatever. And who knows? Maybe we need more than just one comic. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I left it, I le I left, I left it a little cold. But then we have people that were very warm on it, so that's good. It's a good balance. I want to know why Tim Seeley didn't write her back. Like, I was disappointed yeah. to just not have his name on it. I wanted to see Tim Seeley write Hackslash again. Mm -hmm. I have to say, though, like, there are some panels that I really did enjoy. Like, not all of the art was great. Like, some of the, the, the butt shots, like, you know, full panel, that angle is just unnecessary all around. But, uh, 
some of the more dream oriented stuff, like when she's mm-hmm. on the the swing set, yeah. and uh, dude comes behind her and stuff, and she swings over the top. That last panel with all the words upside down and everything, and she's kind of wide eyed, is a really really cool panel. There are lots of, like it's it's I could totally get into the art style and like I'm grooving on, I'm grooving on, and then all of a sudden there'll be a panel or or a page or something where it's just like whoa, okay, that's whatever. But um. I don't have issue with the art style itself. I think just some of the artistic choices. Mm-hmm. I think some of it's really pretty. Yeah. You got a little bit of a uh, Freddy Krueger thing going on at one point when you can mm-hmm. uh, see all of Cassie's insides and uh, all, the, all the souls are burning in her chest and stuff like that. Yeah, that did, was did pretty you, cool. Did you notice the prison that the doctor works on is the England Correctional Institute? Yes. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I love she's stuff. yeah. There's she's some, worn there's she's cool worn striped um garments before that resemble Freddie's sweater. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea of her being put in a position by the end of this that it's a uh, like a fish out of water situation for her. Like you take this, I don't want to ruin it, but like, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that's that aspect of it is really cool. Now the artist, by the way, also does a book for the adult version of Action Lab. Okay. Called Zombie Tramp. Mm. Oh, I saw that at uh, San Diego Comic Con. It was yeah. on the table. Okay. I always got the impression from Cassie Hack that like she's scantily clad because she just couldn't be bothered putting more yeah. stuff on. But, yes. <laughs> like she and she's she was always traveling and like uh, hunting down different serial killers and you know so I just always got the impression that she just didn't she didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of time to get dressed. She's got shit to do, you know? So she just kind of throws on, like, whatever's laying around. Yeah, PJs um, or sweatpants or whatever, right? That kind of Well, deal? no, she wears a lot of, like, fishnet. She, like, she wears a lot of fishnet, and she wears, like, tall socks and big boots and things like that. Um, but just, you know, just not... It was a little bit more, like, punk rock. Like, I think, I think uh. Steve, didn't you use the word fluffy at one point? When we were talking about this briefly, and I think that's kind of like, yeah, she's got this kind of like, um, like, you know, tiny little, like she's, got, like she's wearing, like everything should say Victoria's Secret pink on it. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, <laughs> you know. I don't know. Yeah. She, she's got kind of like, um, like a, like a Joan Jett, uh, like goth dominatrix thing going on. And I don't know. It's a, it's. I, I might have been a little harsh on it. I'm kind of thumbing through it right now and, and rereading it a little bit while you guys are talking. And it was it's fun. I just don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah. Exactly how yet. I feel about it. Okay. All right. Let's move on. What else do we got here? How about ooh, High Five Fight Club number three, oh. Bob? Why don't you uh, why don't you take us off with that? Oh, uh, it is our 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 friends from Vinyl Mayhem have found themselves the mystery of... We're still missing Rosie Riot, of course. And they actually have the band Stegosaur in custody at the shop, hoping for an explanation. And their explanation is, they, they didn't were breaking the story. They came back for their instruments. Now, our gal Chris, the new the newbie at the store and newbie to the Fight Club, she she's sticking with them and starts asking questions, and they throw out these robotic answers that came right out of an interview. Hmm. Chris Chris and Dee Dolores have 
some back and forth, decode some stuff, lots of cool mystery things. We come back around eventually to, I love the name of this band that their interview on television would get near the issue. I skipped a whole bunch of stuff because I don't really this from you. A band called Desparagus? <laughs> come on. <laughs> Classic pun. And they're giving an interview and they're giving the exact same answers. There's something really weird in this 90s rock and roll thing going on here. Great fun. Any fan of things like Lumberjanes, Gotham Academy, uh, Paper Girls, jump onto Hi-Fi Fight Club by Carly Usden and Nina Vacueva. Am I doing that close, Joey? Nina Vacueva. Okay, I'm close enough. Absolutely great characters, lots of fun. Solid, solid storytelling. What everybody else think of High Five Fight Club number three? I am so invested in this book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I like Chris and Mags. I just want yeah. them to be happy together. She has such a huge crush on her, and I just, I just need them to be together. And but then also we get the relationship with Dolores in this issue too, and mm-hmm. the explanation and the conversation between you know Chris is like yo Dolores why are you so mean to me and and the honest truth kind of comes out and I'm like I'm reading it and I'm like this is like this is very real you know it's very well scripted well crafted it's funny it's honest it's sincere I just love it and um there's that moment where they're in the ring right and they're training Chris how to fight yeah and uh what's the what's the boss's name Oh, Irene. Irene, right. She has that great speech about why the Fight Club is necessary. Uh, and it's to fight any kind of injustice in the world and to do it together. Yes. I started crying. I started crying. And I started crying because I freaking read this after I read Silver Surfer 2, which we'll talk oh, about boy. shortly. And I was yeah. just like in a very emotional place at that moment. And I just the, the tears were coming. It was great. I'm, like I said, so invested in this book. Um, is it an ongoing I think so. I think so. I freaking it hope could, so. It could because be. I am I am all in for, for this for High Five Flight Club. Yeah. Amen. Sweet. And they drop Sweet. they drop spice up your life and I was like, what is this? This no, is the yeah. best fuck yeah. okay. ever. They dropped that, but they also dropped placebo. Yeah, they do. Yeah. That that was the moment for me. Like all the rest of it is fantastic too. But I love the way that this book uh name drops bands like left and right. And that one hit the sweet spot for me. That's not a band that you you catch in uh, in comics all the time. And that was a nice little send off to them. Uh, listen to Pure Morning if you want to hear them. All right, let's move on. Melissa. Hi. Hi. I heard a lot of Twitter chatter about a book called Kid Lobotomy Number One. Did what you? is it? What is it? I t- <laughs> t- t- Tess Fowler. Was on it? Uh, is, yes. is on it. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's interesting to me because I did not see a lot of chatter about it beyond um, Tess actually tweeting about it and some people retweeting some of her stuff. So oh, I saw I'm bunch. interested. Yeah, I'm interested to hear what you have to say too. So, uh, Kid Lobotomy. Um, Kid is a sassy, young, mentally unstable hooligan who's been gifted the run of the suites, which is an aging but popular hotel. Um, his sister is really pissed off that uh, Big Daddy put him in charge instead of her, and that's his name, Big Daddy. 
<laughs> so she's out to make sure that kid fails at his new job after a lifetime of dangerous operations and therapies to fix kids twisted brain fail him. He thinks this may just be the way to find himself a little sanity. Um, and he tries to help some people in need for themselves at the same time. Um, I think issue number one, I mean, issue number one gives us sibling rivalry, shape-shifting, seduction, brain surgery on the bed. <laughs> yeah. I'm not totally sure where this is going yet, but I think there's these are two really talented creators in control. I feel really excited at the prospect of where this can go. Um, it's, it's insane. It's totally nutty, and I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. um, I love Kid Swagger. I love his kind of, like... I love how he he has seems to have like a genuine need to help other people who have mental issues, but he also just kind of goes off the rails sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know what's up with his sister. She just seems like straight up evil and she's messing with his brain. I think those two are a little too close, <laughs> but that's yeah, well, not clear yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that moment with the maid. Yeah. Where, yeah. The shape-shifting like, made Otla. Yeah. Like, why did... Yeah, I don't know. Why would you ask that? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> There's all kind. Like, I feel like this hotel is like a Pandora's box. And like, and it's just going to, like... It's going to crack open. And there's going to be so much fun, weird stuff coming out of this. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's a blast. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this book. Nice. How about you, Bob? Yeah. I enjoyed this a lot. It is very, very smart. It is gruesome. It is weird. Kid's sister, Rosebud, who is trying to torture him with big bugs and craziness and breathing fire. He's hallucinating, or is he? He is trying to help, including a, a new patient, Mr. Vandebort, who doesn't respond as well to the treatment. Perhaps something as what happened with, with Kid before with his, his big daddy. We've got a book that will bring in Kafka's Metamorphosis and Gregor Samsa and giant cockroaches. Mm. Um, the, he, the first lobot, the new, it's the new lobotomy. I guess it's like new Coke. It's the new lobotomy <laughs> that kid's performing on someone. The, he describes as the Burroughs method. It's, called, it's cut up, which is, we're, we're now discussing William S. Burroughs and his literary style, which was the sort of cut-up thing he was doing. So it is at so many levels at once. It is gruesome. It is scary. And it's a hell of a lot of fun at the same time. I'm with you, Melissa. The whole idea of the sweets as... Is it a metaphor for the world around us and every little room has its own little craziness and the people in it? It is certainly... I, I, it is Shakespearean, it is Greek tragedy, it is all sorts of stuff at once, and still an adult sci-fi horror comedy romp with violence and bloodshed and brain surgery totally. all at once. And brain snacks. Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh, I yes. haven't even seen I haven't seen brain snacks since Hannibal. Like, I'm <laughs> I excited zombie. about that. I zombie. Dude. Oh yeah, that's right, I zombie. And that's that's page number one. Like, I, like I was saying, right? I, All I, that I was on this, page one. Yeah. I read this because uh, again, spinning out of uh, Black Black uh, Crown Quarterly, and 
Peter Milligan is the is the one of the writers on it, right? Peter Milligan, yes. Who is like that same kind of like generation as like you know Grant Morrison and Mark Millar, like they they are balls to the wall. Whatever they're gonna do, and and um, Kid Lobotomy is one hundred percent just insanity from cover to cover. The Kafka stuff, like I was hooked because that was the that was the teaser that was in Black Crown Quarterly. And oh. he opens the door and the giant roach jumps out on, on him yeah. or whatever. And I was like, I need to read this book. So I went back and, and, and read it. And um, yeah, I just, the, it's, it's insane. You have no idea what's going on other than this kind of like punk feel, underground, like seedy, underbelly punk feel to it. And I just love it. I love it so much. And the final few pages, absolutely insane. And just make you want to pick up the next book. I mean, are you already in love with Kid? Because I kind of am. Yeah, totally. Like, the same like way I, want, the same... I want things to work out for Kid. I already feel <laughs> invested in him. The same <laughs> way that you fall in love with, like, Grant Morrison's iteration of Quentin Choir. You know, Kid Omega. You know, like, yeah. in, in the new X-Men book, the second that he's introduced, you fall in love with... With, with Kid Lobotomy for all the kind of same, like, oh, this this kid is kind of dreadful, but also wonderful, you know? Like, in this tight pants kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. like, yeah, well, I, I like the, that. The book opens, right, with a... It's not Yelp, it's the Welp review. And they talk about how terrible the place is. The manager is damn hot sauce, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's had his brain stirred around so many times, you know? Put, yeah. He's... <laughs> the, he's He's, 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 he's barely put together anymore. I really want to know. I think that the I think that the brain snacks is going to turn into something. Like I think there's going to be something that he, like he's he's taking something from these people. Hmm. I think that that's going to be um, a thing that is a part of this story. I, I'm They're intrigued about this. Yeah, Mister <laughs> Mister Vanderborst over there, who's who's actually does know the band kid was in before that failed because he wanted to play harp instead of guitar. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was nice that there's that shot of him sort of playing the harp and the all together just for fun. It is, it is screwball comedy with this horror edge to it. And that's a winning combination if you can pull it off. And I, yeah. I think they have in this issue. All right. I'm in. Feel like Sounds amazing. Kid is one of my ex boyfriends, maybe. <laughs> oh, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. In, in, is he in the brain snack category or the heart plane <gasps> category? Halloween Hopefully episode. The Halloween episode. Category. Okay. <laughs> I'm really glad that we had it at least just got one too person. Real, too real. <laughs> I'm really glad we had at least one person on this podcast that did not read this book because you guys just sounded like lunatics <laughs> for the last five minutes. <laughs> and it was amazing. That book sounds like a lot of fun. I have no idea what any of you were talking about, but I'm ready to read it. <laughs> All right. So ends the conversation about Kid Lobotomy number one. Check it out. Bob, why don't you bring us home the comic book talk oh. for this week with uh, Silver Surfer number 14. It is, it is a homecoming, though it isn't entirely... The one we might have all liked. I'm not gonna. I, I, I don't want to say anything too much about what happens within the issue. 
last issue ended. Uh, let me put it. Hopefully, people have at least caught up with the last issue since I've been talking about it now for however many years. Dan Slott, Michael, Laura Allred have been have been doing this, but um, Norrin was comforting Dawn Greenwood as she passed away after they had spent a lifetime together out in space on another planet waiting for our universe to begin again. And as that process begins, he heads off with her energy into space and we're, we're here. And anything I can say about this book and how wonderfully crafted and emotionally deep this was is really superfluous. It's just to say that Norrin comes back to Earth to Anchor Bay and the Greenwood Inn and basically relives all this, all the life with the, the supporting characters from, from the slot or red run here up until where we go. It is beautiful, a, a, a fitting finale to a series that it, this, to me, always showed the best that superhero comics could be. It is cosmic and weird and funny and just so deeply heartfelt with respect for what came before, whether it was Englehart or certainly Stan and Jack or Stan and, and John Buscema. The surfer is still that guy, but he has remorse over the life he led. And it's Dawn Greenwood who showed him that things could be different. And their relationship is one of the best in comics history. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm engaging in hyperbole here, but I'm sorry. It is the absolute truth. The, these two characters together were just really special. And we get something special within this issue with those characters. What did everybody else think before I break down in tears? <laughs> Joey, why don't you go ahead? I um, have not been reading Silver Surfer Sorry, Bob. Uh, I, live by, I live vicariously through your your, your <laughs> outpouring of emotion every month uh, or every couple of months with the new issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, you know, we talked last week about how Silver Surfer 14 was going to be the final issue of the slot already run, I was like, you know what? I'll read it. Because I read the first volume. Um, I read the issue that uh, probably should have gotten best issue but didn't because I read it <laughs> online. And, you know, I've been along for the adventure enough to kind yeah. of have a sense of, of everything. So I read 14 in isolation. And right on the recap page, they talk about what you had just talked about with the end of issue 13. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah. like, this book has gone some places. Um, and issue 14 is a very fascinating finale because um it's a reflection on the entire series told through the reflection of silver surfer going back through the events of the entire series through this weird sci-fi quirk of space-time right now speaking of reflections the cover just as that issue that went around the mobius strip back and forth for Mm -hmm. those we should post this the cover is, the top half of it is the surfer sailing through space. The bottom half is the reflection basically in a, in a lake or a river with sort of the shimmering letters that say Silver Surfer upside down and on the surfboard with him is Dawn Greenwood. Yeah, it's beautiful. <gasps> they knew the whole time. They knew the whole time. And like <laughs> yeah. it goes back to the Mobius strip too, the way that yeah. like they played with this whole space-time thing. And and the, the way that... You see, you have read this character, experience these things, 
And now you read this character in this single issue, re-experience those things from outside of it, creates this kind of emotional resonance to the entire series as a whole that in its final pages lands so perfectly. Like the way that this entire series, and I'm missing probably the middle 12 issues, I'll say, uh, the way that the final two pages of this book just lands... Is I'm crying. Utter perfection. I started bawling, and I haven't yeah. read the last thirteen issues of this comic book. You know that doesn't matter, and it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It does not matter. I, it just hit me in the heart in such a way. The way, and I, I don't want to spoil it either because, like, you yeah. have to experience it. Even if you just read this single issue, you have to experience the kind of expertise, like the masterful storytelling. That 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 it culminates in the last two pages of this book. Um, knowing the characters, not knowing the characters, knowing the events of the book, not knowing the events of the book, like it is so emotionally resonant. It, it was perfection. It was absolute perfection and a perfect finale, um, a perfect final issue. This is a very expensive podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, um, seriously. Here's a without spoiling anything. We've I think we managed it, Joey, not to spoil anything that that will touch your heart and make you smile and laugh and all the rest. You have creators who really care about the characters. You read the the back matter with with Dan Slott and Mike Allred. That the character of the Silver Surfer can now be used as he was before he's there to be you know, the toys are back in the toy box but if if you choose to use what happened here he is now i'm it's going to be heresy, heresy to say this he's a better character now than he's ever been before if you want to go with the new emotional depth that goes with him there's something special been added now and it was through these 30 issues or whatever it is at this point uh, of this creative team who did this. And I so happy it's, it's, and so sad at the same time. Yeah, the way that, that uh, slot and all red, the all reds have, have lent a new humanity to the character while maintaining that kind of cosmic sensibility to it. And that kind of quirkiness and, and strangeness is just masterful and i think that like when silver surfer like not started i'm not as read up as as you are bob on it but you know they forced him to stay on the planet for 10 years to to humanize him you know what i mean like like keep him here and that's how he'll become more human right he'll learn the ways of the world and slot went the other way he sent him out into the cosmos and he found his humanity there, you know, and, and there's something so wonderful about that. And and um, following it for it's been three years at this point across yeah. the 20 some odd issues. Um, it, it's going to go down, I think, one of the best runs ever, you know, yeah. um, on any character, let alone. And it's Silver Surfer. This one. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I know I mentioned it when this the one issue would come out when. The Silver Surfer first appeared back in the Galactus trilogy. It's Fantastic Four 48 to 50, which everyone knows because I talk about it ad nauseum. Um, 
he's humanized and rebels against Galactus because of the presence of Alicia Masters. And that went for a while, and that was revisited by Steve Englehart years and years later, in, in the 80s and early 90s, where the surfer came back to Earth and then went away with Alicia for a long time and did some of this. And she, Dan Slott and the Allreds, brought Alicia back in an issue. I think it's in the, in the midst of the ones that you missed. And that was pretty, pretty darn special. It's an issue where Dawn went to look for her mom. Or actually, she didn't want to really look for her mom, but Norrin took her to her mom. Which was another, you know, get out the hankies thing. Uh, people, read, read, read yourself some Silver Surfer. It will be money well spent. I know we're expensive tonight, Steve, but it's good money you're spending. Volume 2 hits November 29th. For those of you that are interested in reading the whole thing, that will buy yourself, uh, a, buy yourself a Christmas present. Buy. Indeed, yeah, it's um, it's crazy. I was just looking at my collection. I thought that a couple weeks ago that I had purchased all the ones that I was missing, but apparently, not. So, boo. <gasps> I'll fix that. All right, let's move on to uh, let's do some some lists and listener questions before we we get out of here means all right let's do it you know what let's do let's do a list first we uh came to the podcast this evening and we said let's rattle off our top five favorite horror movies okay just disclaimer these are not what we think are the best these are our favorites put it out there i want bob to go first because (laughs) bob has an amazing and intricate system upon which he well, makes his lists. Well, I, I have two lists, see? And our former editor-in-chief and co-host, Bobby Shortle, was always of the opinion that it was very hard to separate your personal favorites from an objective list of best. I think it can be done because I have two lists in front of me and they're different. So, Steve, do you want my favorites or what my system back in the 112 video days, which blended in the official Ryer Blenderama, um, scariness, historical importance, and cultural impact? Oh, my God. Give so us that's, give it. that's a best, and then there's my favorites. So give us your top five, Bob. God damn it. Which yeah, one? Top, top five. I'm Bob top... Gordon. I'm telling you, you got to tell me which. Give us a top five from each. Okay. Just the titles. Okay. Top 50 horror films ever made. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> top, top, top five. Oh, I thought top I, I, 500. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm we can, we can attach the entire list to okay. the post. We're I'm not doing all 50 five. movies. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't get the multiplication there. I'm sorry. Number five, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Which Exorcist. list is this? This is the top five best horror films. Not my favorite, the what okay. we came up with as the best. So Texas Chainsaw okay. Massacre, The Exorcist, Halloween, Night of the Living Dead, and Psycho. All the originals, except no substitutes. My, okay. my favorite top five, it's, it's slightly different. Son of Frankenstein, 1939, which is what Young Frankenstein is based on. Igor the Hunchback and Basil Rathbone as Wolf Frankenstein re- re- recaptured his monster. The number four would be the Bela Lugosi Dracula. 
Mm. Number three, the original Wolfman from 1941 with Lon Chaney Jr. Number two is Jaws. And number one would be Psycho. So, All right. Different lists, eh? All right. All right. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, we can we can attach a, a document or some something. Okay. All right. Melissa. My list got bigger. <laughs> what do you have? I tried to keep it to five, but I have some honorable mentions because I can't limit it to five. Okay. Okay. Um, so I want to, and I want to say like, these are my five. The, okay. They're not five. They're my favorites that I can think of right now at this moment. But there's, I, yeah, if I was allowed to, then I would probably be like Bob and I'd have a list of 50. Um, so these are the ones I think of right now is get out. It follows the autopsy of Jane Doe. Hellraiser, only the original, uh, Eyes of My Mother, and my honorable mentions are 28 Days Later, The Conjuring, Train to Busan, The Babadook, and Wreck. Hmm. Great list. I haven't seen a few of those. Wait. Wait. Melissa, <laughs> our list is pretty much the same. Is it really? Yes. What? I have... Baba Duke, because we're it awesome. Follows. Twenty-eight days later, get out. Train to Busan. <laughs> like, that's all the same. Sinister's on my list. Um, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Like, oh, we're the same person. Oh, The Ring <laughs> messed me up real bad too. Because here's the thing with the horror movies, man. Like, and we were talking about it in the email thread. Like, I am terrified of horror films like i it gives me intense anxiety when i sit to watch a horror film like i will hide my eyes and like leave all the lights on like i just can't do it like zombies are my we've talked about this too zombies my biggest fear and yet i will watch them all the time because i'm a sadist and i just like enjoy films and i'll watch them especially the mm -hmm. last few years i'm like i'm gonna watch horror movies because i'm an adult and i can take it and then i'm like crying to myself <laughs> on the corner of my couch like in my apartment you know um but yeah i think it's hilarious that our list were so similar <laughs> no That's one told amazing. me train to busan was a zombie movie my friends were like oh train to busan the movie is great you should watch it and i was like okay i'll watch it turn it on freaking zombies <laughs> i was like god damn it it's nothing but zombies i know well, like, i know that now endless, endless <laughs> amounts of zombies. i haven't seen that yet oh, damn it's it very oh, good. It's so good i heard about it a little while ago but i haven't i haven't gotten it yet i gotta check that out um i uh, uh never mind i forgot what i was gonna say all right Go I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do my list so on my list, I guess I have a couple of honorable mentions because I have three at the bottom from my top slot. So I have The Shining, A Nightmare on Elm Street, In the Mouth of Madness, The Lost Boys, The Babadook, The Thing, and Alien are all on my list of her ah. top favorite horror movies. Yeah, it was really hard. I, the, the Lost Boys slipped in there at like the last second, and I think it's just me thinking back really fondly on that movie because that movie was amazing. Listen, any, Steve, yeah. there's not a lot of old movies that I'll rewatch over and over again, but The Lost Boys is an always watch for me. Oh, it's so good. The Frog always. Brothers. How could you not love The Frog Brothers? Always. So good. So good. And Kiefer Sutherland is just nasty in that movie. That whole scene with them at the bonfire nasty. and them coming out so of the trees. Cute. Oh, well, yeah. He's so cute. No, he's that too. But like when he gets the fangs going on, the red eyes, and like the dude that gets pushed into the bathtub filled with holy water, he's just like, "Wow, is awesome." 
So good. Nanook. You just love Nanook, Nanook. right? Nanook rules. Nanook uh, and then uh, Gamork. Remember Gamork from, uh, you want to talk about horror? No, something that scared the, actually, this might be a listener question, so I'll save it. All right. Um, I love that you included In the Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth of Madness. Underrated Carpenter movie. Oh, God. It is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. That that doesn't move in the list. That is definitely in my top five. I have so many fond memories of that movie. I've watched that movie with a bunch of people that I love, and we all love it. And it's infinitely quotable. My my friend Brenda and I, we quote it all the time. And it's it's never not funny. And yeah. I, I Sorry I about love, the balls. Oh God, <laughs> that uh, you want some too, buddy? Is yeah. another one, and uh, oh God, it's just so many. Did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? Yeah. Anyway, if you see that movie, you'll get it. <laughs> I remember what I wanted to say. So um, I was going to say first of all, Joey, um, you have to see Wreck, but mm-hmm. it is zombies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, and it's in Spanish, so maybe it'll be less scary if you. <laughs> If you have to read no, it, no, zombies don't speak. It's not like they speak in Spanish. It's a visual, <laughs> it's a visual fear. It's 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 amazing because it's kind of like that claustrophobic zombie thing that you get with Train to Busan, no. but it's in like, it's in a it's in a dark apartment complex. Oh God. Um, and I want to say that um, the autopsy of Jane Doe is the one movie that in a very very long time that I've actually I've done the the Bronwyn pillow hide for it. I, I don't I don't hide behind pillows too often anymore, but that one made me I had to like hide and like peek around the corner of it. Wow. Did you see the photo that I posted to Twitter last week while she was watching TV with me? She has a um I did, but things- I've seen it in person. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things about growing up is when you visit souvenir shops, you have things that have your name on it. It's a magnet, it's a keychain, it's whatever. Bronwyn is not really a common name, so you don't really find a whole lot of stuff to take home what she did find once is a blue hoodie that says it's a bronwyn thing on it and she's sitting there (laughs) watching a horror movie with me she pulled the hoodie up over her head so that it's just it just says it's a bronwyn thing over her as she sits there cowering on the thing it was absolutely hysterical i love her so much okay also let's move on cabin of the woods 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 is really good too awesome right Ah, uh, la 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 la. Okay, Joseph Montiu, brothers of Lost Nerds, wants to know: Have you ever had a supernatural experience, Joey? No. Melissa. I wish. Bob. Oh. <laughs> it's up to you, Steve. Ghosts aren't real. <laughs> Too yeah. many. Too, Too many. many. Oh, we'll speak for all. Too of many. <laughs> Uh, I, I've, I've, I've told Bob maybe about 15 minutes worth of this story and didn't get to, to finish it. I cannot tell you on the podcast tonight cause it would take about two hours. Uh, I used to live in the Harbor house on, uh, Long Island, New York. Harbor house is a haunted house and there was some stuff that went down there. It would take me about two hours to tell you the entire thing. Something that transpired with my father at first and then with me over the course of two days. And it's an absolutely wild story that may or may not involve Mariah Carey's sister, Alison Carey. And it, it's a story, yes. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I only got to a piece of it. It's so it's so ridiculous that at, even when I hear myself telling it, I don't really believe it anymore. Like, I wonder if I've, you know, made it so fantastic in retelling it over the years to just, you know, make a really good story out of it. But damn, those two days were so weird. And I still don't because, like, my father's passed away now. And I never really got to like probe him about what happened during those two days. He was always very reluctant to talk about it, which kind of makes me wonder that like all the stuff that I remember that it was real. But anyway, it's a really epic thing, but I have a short one for you if you want. So my family and I, we used to vacation my, my dad's parents and, and uh, you know, my mom and everybody. And so we went to some town that had a ghost tour on it and i couldn't have been i must have been maybe like eight or nine years old my sister is uh, almost four years older than i am so we go on this ghost tour and they're telling us this story about a woman who waits by the window and you know on some nights if you if the moon is right you'll see her in the window looking down at the town waiting for her husband to come home from the war or whatever and my sister at one point like tensed up and kind of freaked out and I was like, what's up? And she goes, she was like, I saw her. I saw her. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's cool. That's cool. That's why we came, right? Because like you hope to see this stuff. So that's great. And so she got pissed at me because I didn't believe her at the time. And we went back to our place. We weren't staying at a hotel. We were actually staying at like an apartment complex, like a condo. So it was like a multi-tiered, really cool like layout to this whole place. She didn't want to sleep alone, so there was this giant L-shaped couch on the second floor of the house that I slept on once, one half of it, she slept on the other. At one point during the night while she was sleeping, she woke up and she couldn't move. She thought that it was sleep paralysis until she, she says that she actually felt two hands press down on her shoulders and kind of push her into the top portion of the couch. And she felt something tap her head three times. And the, the third time was really violently. And then she was able to move again. She flew off the couch onto my side and starts punching me and beating me up and yelling at me because she believed that I had done it. And then once I figured out what was going on, the only thing that was in that corner was a hockey stick up against the wall and a plant that was like way too far from her. She swears up and down to this day that that's like what she experienced that it got, it got cold and all of a sudden she woke up and she couldn't move and she felt the tapping on her head. So, um, I have lots of ghost stories, but that's, that's just, that's just one of them. I, uh, I believe in that stuff to a point. I don't necessarily know if it's the textbook definition, but I do believe in residual energy kind of dwelling within, within places uh for periods of time and whatnot but that's a whole other podcast altogether let's move on talking ghosts we start that oh i would love to do that i should have signs of scream we should do a special sirens of scream episode i find it very difficult to believe that you've never had a supernatural experience melissa I have tried like hell to have a supernatural experience. <laughs> I tried so I have, hard to get haunted. You have it's no idea. Tr- no, it's true. I like I had a I have a reputation amongst if you talk to my friends who I grew up with, like I'm the person that would drag them into every cemetery. I drag them into every creepy old house with windows boarded up. I'm like I'm out looking for the ghosts, but I just I just can't. I yeah I just can't uh, I can't claim to 
believe in it. I think I had experiences when I was younger that I convinced myself might have been supernatural, but I was pretty desperate to have supernatural things in my life. So, yeah. I I, I kind of want to make this happen for you. If I die <laughs> before you, I'll haunt your ass. So I, that you can you can have the experience. Just make it easy for me, because I'm kind of too old to go roaming around old houses now. <laughs> I'll just I'll just come back like, just hang out. I'm right never here going away. <laughs> Puns all the time. You're gonna have to move. It's gonna You'll be a hear disaster. Steve's voice on future recordings. Yeah, yeah. If you play it backwards, backwards, he introduces the podcast. You hear Steve saying, "Let's move on." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's move on. We should do that. Let's move on. We have another uh, listener question. This one from this is John D. Is there any bit of horror media, movie, book, etc., that you could never make it all the way through because you were too scared? Mm. Uh, I will go first. You, I was uh, actually starting to say this before, and then I stopped, and now I'll say it again. Do you who's seen the Neverending Story? Everybody. No. Everybody. Bob, really? I was, you gotta remember, all these eighty things came out. I was a grown up, so yeah, I didn't right. catch up to some of these things, and that's one I've never seen. Oh, you should see that movie. You should definitely see that movie. There is a character in that movie named Gamork, and Gamork is kind of this—he's like a herald of the nothing. You know, he's he's the the evil wolf Silver Surfer. When I tell you that this thing is one of the scariest things ever filmed and it's it's real stuff it's a puppet the animatronics on this thing the whatever whoever stuck their hand up this thing's throat to make it do <laughs> what it does it is one of the most chilling and disturbing characters not in a horror movie mind you that I've ever seen I've seen that movie a hundred times probably more but as a kid, that was one of the hardest scenes to ever get through. That and there's a thing with a horse. But yeah, it, <laughs> that movie, that that movie was epic. If 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 not for many many other things, but that character, that character st- has stuck with me to this day. That thing scares the shit out of me. <laughs> anyway, that's that's my little thing. Um, Bob, what about you? Never. Okay. I've never. I not for too scary. I brave, Bob. When I I get, I've told the story a lot, and I think on your show, my dad saw Lon Chaney's Phantom of the Opera in a movie theater in 1925. I grew up watching the Universal movies on television, and it was always explained: it's a movie, and you should be scared as it's a movie. But Bela Lugosi gets up after they put a stake through his heart. He goes home to his wife and his kids. So don't take it like that. As the person then shepherding other young people into horror movies, there were a couple I had to leave. One I started to tell before, in the wake of the slasher movies in the late 70s and early 80s, a lot of movies got repurposed as horror films. And we used to, I used to take my friend's sister's, we'd all go to the movies and whatever, if they had boyfriends at the time, we'd all run to the drive-in or go see a movie. And this was playing at our big theater. It was then in Patshaw, one big theater. It's now a real uh, stage venue now. And it was a movie called Almost Human. And the ad had this deformed monster face. And it was just a little ad at the bottom of the page. And they always had A pictures in this theater. So they had a whole bunch of us go to go to the 
the movie. What it turns out is it's not a horror movie. It's an Italian giallo, they call them. Oh. Is, right. So it's a crime, murder, mystery thing. And this begins with a bank robbery and some bad guys go into this very fancy villa and take everyone hostage. You think, okay, maybe it's going to run into, it's a haunted house or whatever. No, it's just a bank robbery with really bad people. And at a, at a point about 25 minutes in, they have everyone naked. They tie them to the chandelier and shoot at them with machine guns. Yeah. It's like, um, check, please. Classic. So I I took all our folks. It's like, no, I'm sorry. You missold this to me. And we all went walking out of the theater and went into Howard Johnson's and had ice cream and left. Uh, similarly, there's a movie called Mother's Day that was remade fairly recently. It's a really horrendous thing. Really grim. It's two weirdos who live in the woods with their aged mother, and they're kidnapping and killing people, and they kidnap these, these three women who are camping for a college reunion or something. And when I know, when the kidnapping and that was all bad enough, and when you dress one of them as a Girl Scout and have her leading around an invisible dog on a leash and have her sit on a park bench, it's not, we're going, we're leaving now. Hmm. So not for horror, but just for horrific elements to things where it's just, no, uh, I got the wrong audience for this, and we're, we're going home. Yeah. How about you, Joey? I, um... No, same thing, you know, I, even though I, like I said before, I am utterly, utterly terrified of horror films. If I sit down to watch one, I'm going to watch one. It's going to be a painful experience, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, I did tune out from Clockwork Orange. That was one, that, uh, I don't know if that counts here, but I that was, that's one of the few movies that I, I turned off about 15, 20 minutes in. Maybe even shorter. I was just like, this is a lot. And I, I turned that off. Now, ironically, I saw a stage version of it like two weeks ago. And it was a lot too, right in front of my face, you know. But, um, and no, I, I feel like I, 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 if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I will say, though, that I listen to a lot of like horror and podcasts. There's a couple specifically, the Black Tapes and Rabbit Hole, uh, Rabbits, excuse me, uh, that are very, very good. And totally worth listening to if, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, and because they're podcasts, like I could, I can very easily like not listen to the next episode if I'm freaked out. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, if I have like three episodes downloaded, I'll be like, no, I've had enough of upside down faces for today. I'll listen to the next one next <laughs> week. Right. Like, and I can, I can wait there. Um, but no, in terms of a movie, if I sit down, I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. I can't imagine any movie that got Melissa to not finish. That's not true at all. Really? Well, just like you, Bob, there's a lot of things now <clears throat> that I won't... I can't sit through um, child violence anymore. Uh, and I, I won't stomach a rape scene anymore. <laughs> I get really yeah. angry when a movie makes me deal with a rape scene now. It's like, God damn it, I was really enjoying this. And then you had to go there. Um, and, and I'll just... Yeah, my husband actually will like let me know ahead of time if a movie looks good, but he knows that there's one of those two things in there and I'll just skip it. Um, but as far as like horror elements, um, let me see if there's anything I've not finished. I've not finished a ton of horror video games. Cause I'm a complete sissy about horror video games. 
<laughs> I will try. I keep trying over and over again, and then I get too scared and I and I don't finish them. I have a, a stack right behind me on the shelf here of games that I've played like an hour of and then got scared. <laughs> Um, yeah, I have really hard time getting through those. The Mm -hmm. one, I guess I have a funny story I can share with you. The one movie that stuck with me really heavy, which you guys might laugh at me because sometimes people do, but it was the grudge. Um, that movie, absolutely. That movie like got into my soul and wouldn't leave me. (laughs) Um, the sound and the, the face under the sheets, like to me, that's kind of like oh that's like, yeah, that's home base. Like you, you can't go in the bed. You know, have you ever seen the original? Uh, well, uh, that's where I'm going, Steve. So, um, I saw th- I saw the first one all the way through the American version, and one night, uh, back when I was single and I lived with a roommate, um, she was gone for the night, and I was came across uh, on some channel I don't remember they were doing like a horror marathon all night. I was like, oh yeah, cool, you know, I'm gonna watch this. So I turned it on. And um, it was a Japanese film that I did not identify right away, but it had something to do with a lady like giving birth or something was in. That's what I remember was she was in a room like giving birth. And then next thing I know, there's that little boy with with his dead eyes all like curled up in the corner of the room staring at people. (laughs) Just and like I couldn't. Yeah, I got through a total of, I think, 10 minutes of that film, which was the original grudge. I just happened to turn the TV on in the middle of the original grudge while I was <laughs> home by myself in this 24 hour long marathon. I'm like, what the hell? So yeah, that I seen, go ahead, go ahead. I couldn't get through it. Yeah. I, as soon as I saw the kid's face, I was like, Nope, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> turn the TV that off. scene with the bed is so much worse in the original. I than- Oh, and in the sequel, in in the um, what you call it, there are there's a somebody staying in a in like an apartment room, right? And there's this constant banging coming from the other side of the wall in the neighbor's place, Mm-mm. and they don't know what it is, and it, it goes on for a good while in the movie, and then they kind of leave it alone for an hour, and then they come back to it. And you come to find out that it was something like two people that had hung themselves and the like the trajectory of the way that they leapt off of the things made them swing and hit the wall. So every time that you were hearing the bumping on the wall was actually the body swinging back and forth, bumping up against the wall. Nice. Yeah. It's like, oh, my I, God. That movie got into me so badly that I eventually like sat at my computer and I thought, I'm going to look at the website for this movie. So I'm like, maybe if I see like behind the scenes stuff you know like information yeah. about making that will like take some of the scary out of it for me yeah but it was not it was worse because the website was like you enter the house and the website you have to walk into the house and then you have to go to the mirror which is where the menu is <laughs> and oh. as soon as you turn and look at the mirror and to pick the menu of what you want to do then the sound starts from behind you right and right I was like, nope, okay. I turned my computer off and left the room completely. <laughs> like, this is not helping. Good plan. I've not been able to to like get it out of my brain, and I and I haven't seen the sequel, which is stupid because I I always see sequels for horror movies, but I just can't get through it. I uh, I'm trying to think of things for me, and the thing that comes in recent memory is Resident Evil Seven and VR. I did the whole I did the whole game, you know, as is. I actually did that when I was back in the hospital in January. But I bought the PSVR with the intention of 
getting horror games for it. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to scare the shit out of myself. It's going to be great. And I lasted all of maybe 20 minutes with Resident Evil 7 in VR because that shit is scary. Oh, the sound and the sound design in that game is just incredible. And when you have headphones on and that visor and you're in there, you're actually walking around. It's horrible, but I love it. I'll do it one day. All right. Let's uh, quickly move on to another question. H.E. Penny Packer wants to know if you are setting the mood in your home to read a scary book, watch a scary movie. What do you do to enhance your entertainment experience? Uh, I'll go super quick. I am a lights off whenever anything kind of person. It doesn't matter if it's a horror movie or otherwise. I always like to get comfy on the couch, make some popcorn, throw a little bit of extra butter on there, grab a nice drink, and uh, just shut the lights off and and curl up and do it. So yeah. that's... Uh, it's the way I roll. I'm a uh, all the lights on, pillow up, uh, <laughs> s- sound on in the other room, and uh, phone out, ready to emergency dial everyone I know in the event of, uh, of just utter vomit everywhere. That, that's, my, that's my setting of the mood. Uh, see, I, I do the lights off thing, which makes it hard to read horror comics, I must admit. So then I turn them back on. But if it's a movie, lights out doing you got to do that got to get it as dark as possible so that you see the the film just sort of floating in midair you want to do anything else in the room if it's reading a either a, a horror novel or short stories or horror comics it tends to be then horror music whether it's uh, scores from old movies whether it's haunted palace or halloween or even something like forbidden planet uh some theremin music is always fun berlioz's symphony fantastique is always a nice thing to have on there was an rca records collection years back it's long out of print called uh, classics from the crypt that includes little bits and pieces of all sorts of things out the offered hitchcock theme pieces of classical music little selections of it that's absolutely perfect i'm sure it's somewhere on youtube someone has uh, uploaded the whole thing but that, that's for me too lights out what about you melissa in your theater room what happens yeah i don't really have a choice um, okay. I live with an audio video guy um, and we have a home theater and we don't get to watch anything with the lights on. <laughs> uh. It's got to be complete darkness in here. Um, the only exception to that is like if we're watching uh, like kids movies, you know, then he'll kind of put like a dim light on. But mm. um, I don't. Yeah, I I don't think I really set a mood beyond that. There's a, a, I do. Um, have my phone in hand if I think the movie's going to be really disturbing or hard to watch for me, and that's because I play Candy Crush in the middle of it. <laughs> that's what Bronwyn does. <laughs> yeah, there's something like there's just something like comforting about and like nope, reality is Candy Crush. Reality is Candy Crush. She does wow. the same thing. Yeah, I just pick it up and I start playing a game on my phone to kind of distract myself from the unhappy feelings that I have. So. I- I also have this nasty habit of, I mentioned those horror podcasts before. I have this nasty habit of listening to them like late night driving alone. Oh God. It is the worst thing. And like often, more often than not, it'll be like when I do those like road trips to go see shows like regionally, like out in Connecticut or like where where it's in the freaking woods. Right. So I'll be listening to these shows and 
Uh, it's just me in the car, and it's empty roads and darkness, and uh, I, I like you feel that tingle up and down your body. Oh, it's terrifying. As they talk about the I mean, axe murderer who lives in the woods, that right? You're driving exactly. Through, right? Yeah, it's terrifying. I think I think I'm gonna have to get Joey on the sirens because we've been talking about wanting to do a show where we just read scary stories to somebody who's easily scared. No, stop, 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 stop. The, and just have uh, fun scaring the, the crap out of somebody. I love like I love radio. Like it's something that I just adore and the way that sound creates like emotional response. And those two in particular, um the black tapes, very I highly recommend it. Highly, highly recommend it. So yeah, I've got a I've got a scary story for you that doesn't it, the actual story itself, I think, only takes place over three pages. It's a, it's an author named Frederick Brown, mm-hmm. who won awards for science fiction, horror, and detective stuff. And he was famous for the ultra-short story. Yeah. And this one this one begins... I'm, I'm going to mangle this. The scariest thing on Earth, the scariest story ever, would begin with these words. <gasps> the, the last man on Earth sits alone in a room. There's a knock at the door. Stop it! <laughs> right? Stop it. Uh, All right. Uh, All right. We got to move on here. Uh, let's go to one more question. Maybe two more. Maybe two more. Okay. Now that it's November, uh, wah, 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 what comic book are you the most grateful for? Because this will come out November 1st. What comic are you the most grateful for? Around the month of November, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Giant Days. Oh, you beat me to that, you creep! I'm gonna say Giant Days. Giant Days is my comic book happy place. It has been for a number of years. That book is like a warm blanket for my cranky soul. I like Giant Days. You'll be happy to know, Steve. I at Halloween Comic Fest, I <sighs> caught up on the back issues. So Moving I'm, on, I'm, I'm up to date, and there's a new issue coming out today. today yeah. There is. It's already out. So Indeed. You, you beat me to Giant Days. Um, I'd say Silver Surfer, but it's canceled. Oh. You could say that. You could be still be I grateful still for say it. it. Okay. Sure. So yeah, I, it's Silver Surfer. All right, Joey. There's this book I love. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called uh, it's called uh, the Wicked and the Divine. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I just need to sneak that in. Miss um, Marvel, I think, is the one for me. Oh, nice. Hmm. What about you, Melissa? Um, mine would probably be um, usually it's Saga, but mm. I think now it might be Motor Girl. Ooh. Yeah. Just because I feel extra grateful that I discovered it. Come and... on over <laughs> to Motor Girl. Yeah. I love that book so much. It's and gonna I be you and hugged, me. Haven't hugged enough gorillas this year, so <laughs> oh, it's gonna be you and me against the world, Melissa. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> End of the year podcast. Okay, this one is for Bob. Oh boy! And it comes from the lovely Lauren Colleagues. Says to Bob, best horror comic, individual arc, series. Whatever. Oof. Okay. Um, as a as a very general thing, back in the old days, the EC horror comics that were the Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, Haunt of Fear, Shock Suspense, Crime Suspense, the Bill Gaines and all his crew, Ghastly Graham Ingalls and Jack Davis, that that bunch. It's where those movies have come from. It's where the television shows. So historically, certainly that. 
in big two thing, I would tell you it's the Marv Wolfman Gene Colan Tomb of Dracula, which is probably the greatest comic book series to ever feature a villain as a lead that ran for more than 100 issues, where it, it is the Dracula, and he's who you think he is, but occasionally he has to drift to the side of the angels because there are even bigger bads than he is. He's fighting against uh, relatives of the Van Helsing crew and so on. Gene Colan's art is wonderfully atmospheric and dark, and you can feel the damp closing in on you. I would say that modern books, there are so many horror comics in our Harrow County is certainly one of the great ones. I'm going to pick something that sadly there aren't enough issues of, but it's the chilling adventures of Sabrina hmm. from Archie where they're, they're reimagining Sabrina and the ants and Salem and everything else as if it's this Poe Lovecraft cross. It all plays off of the afterlife with Archie universe. I remember it was issue six where the reason all the zombies have come to life in Archie is because, spoiler, Hot Dog gets killed and Jughead brings the dead body over to Sabrina to bring him back to life. Well, she mm-hmm. does, but there's a consequence. So, so all the other dead things come back to life. And in issue six, you get the origin of where all her power comes from, and it's a whole deal that ends up with Sabrina being the bride of Cthulhu. So uh, there are only eight issues of that. They're, they're starting to get more on a schedule, but I think in the modern books, that's the one I'm enjoying the most. But yeah, go EC Horror Comics. They've all been reprinted a gazillion times. The Tomb of Dracula is up and running again in, in reprints from Marvel into Omnibus. I think there's an Omnibus as well as those sort of essential editions in black and white because the book looks really, really good in black and white too. Indeed. Thank you, Lauren. That was a goodie. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for your participation. All right. I should have held that like Rocky Horror Picture Show. But this podcast has gone on for long enough. Joey gets it. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Let's just uh, real quick. Let's go over with everybody the books that we're looking forward to this coming coming new comic book day. And then we'll get out of here. Uh, Bob, what do you got on your list? Oh, almost nothing. From the big two, though there okay. is a one shot of Power Pack. Yes. Which, you know, it's Devin Grayson's time around, not Louise Simonson, but still very interested in seeing where, where that goes. We've got the Wade Samdy Captain America. Hopefully, start to bring that character back. And some really great indies this week, in that we've got Crosswind number five mm-hmm. and Paper Girl 17. And that little book you just mentioned. Giant Days. Giant Days. Giant Days. Giant Days. Yeah. Giant days. Oh, okay, well, I have a book then. I don't know if you're aware of it. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Jetson's number one. Yep. From Jimmy Palmiotti, Pierre Brito, and Amanda Connor. Wow. Yes. I'll definitely be checking that. I love the Jetsons. So, yeah, I got Jetsons number one, Giant Days number 32, Batman number 34, Batman White Knight number two drops on New Comic Book Day. Can't wait to read that. Paper Girls number 17. I will get it. I'm still not caught up. One of one of these days I will. Uh, Power Pack is on here and also Crosswind. 
as well. And I have the unsound and a couple of other things on my cart already. Nice. So this Wednesday is going to be sweet for me. Mm-hmm. Melissa. I only have two things on my list at the moment. Um, Crosswind number five, which I've been enjoying and the Witcher adult coloring book. it's from dark horse actually um and i've had this book on (laughs) pre-order for for a few months now so yeah i'm looking forward to coloring some monsters gonna color some quint cards (laughs) (laughs) hey (laughs) you be cheating on me sorry uh joey what are your I'm going to move to do voices tonight. <laughs> Mention Power Pack, Captain America 695 from uh, uh, Mark Waden and uh, Chris Samney. It's going to be awesome. Um, the trade paperback of Once and Future Queen from Dark Horse collected. Oh. So sad that the whole thing, but whatever. Anyway, the series will be collected. So there it is. Um, Roots by Tara O'Connor came across my uh, inbox a couple of days ago. I'm excited to read it. Um, it's a It's a... Graphic novel uh, pitched as a classic romantic comedy adventure and a page-turning account of a young woman finding herself, and I'm that. Hey, that's like my bread and butter, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> Tara Tara sets off to Ireland in search of clues to her family's ancestry, but what she finds isn't at all what she expected. Some of it has to do with the lack of records, but a lot has to do with John, the charming cartoonist she met on oh. Twitter. Oh, I can already feel myself just getting for Clint. <laughs> but no, this entire week is dedicated to freaking seeing Thor Ragnarok as many times as I possibly can, baby! Let's do it! Yeah, that'll be next week's show is our uh, yeah. Thor Ragnarok review. So, Does that count as books we're looking forward to? Because I'm looking forward to that too. Thor Ragnarok. Sure, it's, it's comic related. Why not? Everybody knows that Thor is like my, one of my top MCU movies like it is Thor 1 is like top 3 it is for me too Joey we're so much the same person I know I'm like that punk Steve (laughs) (laughs) that guy stinks don't pick on Steve (laughs) pick on Steve I want (laughs) that's what I'm here for that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast as always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. We are also on Twitter at TalkingComics. Don't forget to check out TalkingComicBooks.com for news, reviews, and articles about comics, video games, TV shows, and much more. I can't keep this up. No. <laughs> we also have podcasts of every flavor, including talking movies, talking games, talking Valiant, Legendary Runs, D&D Adventure, Bandits Assembled, and more. Bob, where can our listeners find you? I'll be at the Miskatonic University Student Union brewing up some potions. Mm. What, <laughs> what about you, Joey? I'm on the Insta and the Twit, at Joey Pacino. Oh, Lord. Melissa. In a week, I'm going to be on the Sirens of Scream with you, Steve. Yeah. Steve's going to come on and talk about Stranger Things, a lot ah. of Stranger Things, and it will probably be spoilery. So we do that on my other show. <laughs> um, and then you can also find me at Lissa Punch on Twitter and Instagram. And I am at dead underscore anchoress on Twitter and Instagram for Bob. Good night, whatever you are. <laughs> Joey Baba Duke <laughs> and Melissa Happy Halloween my lovelies Happy Halloween everybody I've been Steve Be safe 
Hope you were safe this holiday. Don't can't remember when this damn thing comes out. Uh, <laughs> we love you. Put out something positive into this world. You will get something positive back. That's how it works. We'll see you next time on Talking Comics Podcast. To be continued. Our next show is the Thor Ragnarok show. Hell yes, it is! I am so excited! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might jump in on that one. You should. Yeah, Let's get the whole I'm just saying. Together. I might have to interrupt. I probably can't be on for the whole thing because I have to podcast the night before that and doing two in a row is really rough. But no, just come on for the movie part. I just yeah. want to come in and talk about Thor because I'm going to be so excited. I'm so excited, mm, 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 and mm. I just can't hide it. No, 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 no. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I want you. All right, uh, I'm almost done.